It was about 20 years ago, and I got a call that when you're a pastor, you, you get from time to time. I went to the hospital to see a young couple who'd had their first child. The baby was maybe a couple of weeks old, and the baby had passed away. If you've ever walked through that experience or had a family member go through something like that, you know that often at the hospitals, and it was true in this case, there was a special room where dad and mom could go and they could hang out in that room as long as they wanted to. So when I arrived, they took me to that room and I walked in a room with a young father and a young mother who was holding her lifeless baby. The entire time I was there, she was holding her baby. And what do you say? In those moments when our thoughts are louder than any words we could hear, When we're numb because of the level of pain in the moment, what, what do you say? Because even as a pastor, I've got to be honest, I'm just a guy. And there are scenarios that I walk into that there are no words that make everything better. And, and you know this because you've walked through something that was horrible for a friend or a loved one or a family member. You've had a co-worker experience some kind of devastating pain. And, and although often we try, we, we, we try to offer some kind of encouragement, at the end of the day, you know and I know that there are those circumstances where there simply are no words. We live in a very broken world. And some of you here this morning, you're in a season where there are no words that will make everything better. There, there are no words that will instantly make pain go away. There, there are no words that will fix it all and make, make her come back or make him love you again or, or make them be okay or, or make things better in such a pursuit of instant gratification that we often find ourselves in, that there is no light switch we can flip on this. And so you find yourself, and sometimes I find myself in the waiting room. And the very idea that we should be waiting on God to do something is counterintuitive because if he's God, he should be able to handle this right now. And we think if he truly loves me, he would. Why wouldn't a loving God do something that would remove pain? And the longer we wait, often the more desperate we feel. Just a few years ago on Easter, some good friends of ours who lived in South Florida had come up and they were here for Easter Sunday. We saw them and within about 
couple of weeks after Easter, their little son drowned. What do you say? And it's the awkward tension that we don't want to talk about, we don't want to think about. And you, you came to church today because, and maybe you're here the first time somebody told you, oh, if you go to C3, it's, it's going to feel so good, and you're going to feel so much hope, and it's, it's going to be lighthearted, and it's kind of funny sometimes. I don't think he means to be. I think he has medication, but, but he kind of, you're, you're just going to walk away feeling so good. This morning is not necessarily a feeling so good message, but because sometimes life just doesn't feel good. So let's just, rather than trying to pretend and chase feelings, let, let's try to land at the address of faith and talk about what it looks like when life doesn't feel good. What do you do when you're in the waiting room and you're wondering where is God? And, and, and deeper than that, you're wondering, you're wondering if you're a Christ follower, why does God allow this? And if you're not a Christ follower, you're wondering if there is a God, why would he allow this? What do you do? I've noticed something over the years. That, that phone call came 20 years ago. And, and now I'm 40 and none your business and 20 years older. And I still don't have all the answers. In fact, one of the things I'm recognizing is there are a few things that I know more certain than I ever have, while at the same time I have more questions than I ever have. But what I've noticed is there's a natural bond between those who've suffered deeply and similarly. What I've noticed, and it's become part of what I do, when I, when I hear of deep tragedy, when I hear of someone suffering horrible loss, the loss of a loved one, there are three or four people that I call or I have her team, our, our team call to reach out to to get in touch with this person because there's a natural bond between those who've suffered deeply and similarly. And you know that. You can be walking through something, and if the pastor walks in the room, it, it really, in that moment, may not matter what verse I share or what prayer I pray. I'm just sort of there, and, and you may be grateful, or you may not, but, but if somebody walks in the room who's been through the same thing, and they're on the other side of it, the other side of it is not that they got over it. Some things you don't get over, you learn to live in a healthy way through it. it the other side of it doesn't mean it's all better. It, it means they're standing and their faith is strong. And somehow, even though they, they've experienced deep, almost debilitating pain, there's a smile and there's a peace. When that person walks in the room who's been what you've been through, been through what you've been through, they have a far more profound effect and help to you than I ever could. What does that mean? It means that those who've suffered are uniquely qualified to comfort those who are suffering. Those who've suffered are uniquely qualified to comfort those who are suffering. So this morning for just a few moments, if you're suffering, if you're in one of those seasons, or when you may go into one in the future. I want you to be able to look back on this moment and the passage of Scripture that we're going to walk through for just a few moments because one of the questions we ask in those seasons is why? God, what is, what is the purpose of this? Why would you allow this? Why aren't you fixing this? Why aren't you changing this? Why? And I don't know all of the purpose 
Because God works in our lives individually. But there are certain universal truths that remain true for all time because they're from God. And so I don't know all of the purpose, but I can tell you one of the purposes of suffering. And maybe it can be just sort of a little baby step in the direction of knowing at least part of the why. We may never know all of it, but knowing at least part of it. And part of it is that if you're suffering, or you've been through deep suffering, you are more equipped and qualified to comfort those walking in a season of suffering. See, comfort from those who've been comforted is life-giving to those who need comfort. Comfort from those who've been comforted. By who? By God. By God using people. Do you know, I've never in the deepest, darkest moments of my life, I've never been in one of those moments, whether I was praying or not praying, whether I was feeling connected with God or feeling distant from God, in the darkest moments of my life, which admittedly may be different than the darkest moments of yours. I've never had God walk in the room in flesh and sit down at the end of the bed and say, hey, buddy, it's going to be all right. That's never happened to me. I have had God walk into the room through the voice of a dear friend and say, it's going to be all right. And here's the unique thing about comfort. Comforting is life-giving to the comforter as well. When we go through tragedy and we're dealing with difficult circumstances and we're walking through a painful season, we have two options. We can allow it to be debilitating. We can sit down, give up, and quit. Oh, we're existing, but we're not living. We, we, We can focus on how bad it is. We can focus on how painful it is. And we can just begin to shrink not, not in a physical level necessarily, although we will stop eating, but I'm talking about we begin to shrink our soul, the essence of who we are, and we just stop. We're existing, but we're not living. And we become angry. We become angry with God. We become angry with life. Or we feel like maybe God has favorites and I'm just not one. I see some people's lives that seem to be blessed. I see some people not going through this. Some people have great marriages. Why can't I? Some people have great kids. Why can't I? Don't, don't elbow anybody. Some, some people... Some people have great jobs. Why can't I? Some people get to live their dream. Why can't I? And when you and I are focused on why can't I, we will never be focused on what he can do. That's one option. The other option is to lean into our faith, to hold on and to continue to trust. I remember when Ashley, our our, our second daughter, was real little, she she had ear infections all the time. And I remember I took her in one time, and they were having to do a treatment where they were going to have to go down in her ear. And so th- the doctor asked me to help hold her down. Now, Ashley <laughs> Ashley is tiny, but she is strong and a fighter. Dynamite comes in small sticks, you understand. And so I- I'll never forget that moment. Years and years ago, where I'm in the doctor's office, and I have my arms around her, and I'm holding her down while a nurse is holding her head in place while the doctor does what he needs to do. And I'll never forget the huge tears in her eyes and her screaming and her looking at me like, Dad, how could you? But I knew something she didn't know. I knew that if we didn't do this procedure, it would only get worse. 
See, you might be in that season where you're looking toward God and you're thinking, God, how could you? And I think it's important to remember in those moments and understand he may know something we don't know. Because he's God, he sees what could be coming. But it's so easy to be distracted by the pain and the moment and our desires to be pain-free. Oh, we chase pain-free. But somehow we forget. We look at scripture, we think about times that God moved. It seems like suddenly God parted the Red Sea for Moses and the children of Israel. Suddenly God turned a few fish and loaves into enough to feed a crowd of thousands. Suddenly water was turned to wine. Suddenly Lazarus came back to life. We, we see the moment of suddenly. Our God is a God of suddenly, but suddenly happens in the exact right time. There can be a process we go through before we get to suddenly where God answers. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're suffering, if you're struggling, if life doesn't make sense, if it's intensely unfair, continue to hold on to your faith. Because I don't know all the purpose, but one of the purposes one of the purposes that scripture teaches is you wouldn't have signed up for this. You would not have picked this. You would not have chosen this. You don't ever want to go through it again. Some of you are going through things you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. However, when you continue to hold on to faith, there will be a day where this will be one of your biggest platforms. I can talk about marriage and how to have a great marriage and the things that are necessary. And so can Angie because years ago we experienced great pain in our marriage. I have a greater credibility and people listen, they, they lean in more and they listen to what I say about marriage because our marriage was restored by a good God. Not because I'm great, but because God is and by the way, so is Angie. And so I have a greater credibility. When I talk about marriage, now, you look at people that have never walked through what seems like a day of trouble in their marriage. Now, we, we all have stuff. We just don't all share it. But you, you look at people that seemingly have always had a good marriage. You don't want to chase good. You want great. And you want to know that there's a God that can bring something great out of the mess you might be living in. You're going to listen to somebody like me. I have credibility. But the credibility was given birth only by pain. So the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church at Corinth. We know that the Holy Spirit inspired it. All of Scripture, the Bible says, is, is God-breathed. That means it's inerrant, it's infallible. What does that mean? It has no mixture of error. It, it is powerful. This book is a living book and, and has the ability to speak to our hearts right where we are, even though it was written so long ago, because ultimately, although God used people to write it, the Holy Spirit inspired them and directed them. The Apostle Paul is going to write this letter, and as he's writing the letter, he's going to write about comfort. Now, in my mind, if you've studied the New Testament, Paul might be one of the last people I would say should write about comfort. Paul was a guy who was thrown into prison multiple times, beaten multiple times, became one of the most hated people alive. He ultimately was executed for his faith in Christ. And that guy 
often from prison cells, writes letters to churches. Not, not prison cells where you get wonderful meals with gourmet desserts and you have satellite TV and you can work out 24 hours a day. And you, not, not, no, not that kind of prison. Dungeon prison, old school prison. This guy, God is going to use to write to us about comfort. What does that mean? That means that comfort has nothing to do with what's going on externally in my life. I can find comfort in the deepest, darkest dungeon in my life. I don't want to be there, but I can find comfort there. Here's what he writes, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. Stop. Does God seem compassionate to you? I'm not talking about when life is good and you got the bonus or the car or you were discussing with your wife, we need a new car, what kind should we get? And, and, and she's saying, well, we need a minivan, that's practical. And she finally agrees to the sports car. You don't know why, but she agrees. I, I'm not talking in those moments. I'm talking about, does God seem compassionate to you when he's not acting in a way that compassion looks like? When you think about that, remember that a guy that was thrown in prison multiple times and beaten multiple times and ultimately executed for his faith calls God a God of compassion, a father of compassion. And the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our trouble. That tells me that God, who invites us to call him father, has a unique way and ability beyond anything we could do or, or any distraction we could chase to try to escape the pain. God has a unique ability to bring comfort to our lives. God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our trouble. Why? We tend to chase comfort more than purpose. When you're going through something difficult, do you ever find yourself stopping and saying, Oh God, God, I, I don't want you to remove this. I just want you to comfort me through it. Do you pray that? No. No, we pray, God, would you please get rid of this, make it go away, make it better, fix it. We want to avoid. But there are some things that you and I can learn and some ways that our faith is deepened only when we go through deep pain. People who've walked through failure in their life, some brought on by themselves and some brought on by other things. People who've walked through failure and are now successful have far more credibility with me and I listen a whole lot more than people who've never seemingly experienced failure. Some things you learn only in failing. Some things you learn only in pain. Some things you learn only in the darkest moments of life. And one of the things you learn in those moments, one of the things I learned in those moments is that faith is real and faith matters. But he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles. Why? Because he wants us to be comfortable. Well, there's that. he's a loving father. Of course he wants that. But it's a deeper purpose. It's not a selfish purpose. We tend to be so self-consumed. I feel pain. I don't want to feel pain. God, fix it. And we forget that God loves every single person we lock eyes with around us. And some of them are walking in pain also. The God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Now, here's what's interesting. He comforts us in all of our troubles. So that we can comfort those in any trouble. And yes, there, there is a kinship when you've suffered something similar with someone else and you've been through the same kind of pain. 
But sometimes your pain elevates you to a place that you have a platform of influence where somebody doesn't have to be walking through the same kind of pain. Just knowing you walked through deep trauma and pain, even though it's not the same as them, encourages them and they receive comfort from that. When someone in the life of our church loses a child, no matter what age, I know that Bill and Lacey DeMott, whose daughter was killed by a drunk driver, can comfort them better than I can. I know that Ken and Cynthia White, whose son was murdered on a basketball court, can comfort them better than I can. I know that Chris and Christina Martin, whose son drowned, can comfort them better than I can. And I know that Steve and Diane Vaught, whose son drowned, can comfort them better than I can. When I hear about tragedy and heartbreak on that level, yes, I'm going and I'm going to do everything I can. But there are other people I make sure we call because even though I'm the pastor, if I'm in the room, it really doesn't matter. When someone walks in the room who's experienced that level of pain, they bring comfort with them that I can't work up. And we miss this point because in our pain, we can tend to forget that there are other people. In our pain, we can become so inward focused on the pain that we miss the purpose. And when you miss the purpose of pain, the pain lasts longer. When you miss the purpose of pain, you get stuck in the pain. So that. I don't know all of the purposes of why you're going through what you're going through, or why you're going to go through what, you, through what you're going through, why we experience some of the things we experience. I, I don't know all of the purpose. I do know one God tells us right here, and he wrote it down, inspired it from a guy who had no reason to talk about comfort except for the fact that he, that he had experienced himself the comfort of God, and it was written down and protected and preserved 2,000 years before you would be walking through your pain or I would be walking through my pain. Part of the purpose, not all of it, but a baby step in the direction of understanding the purpose is so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. God comforts us to comfort others. And that's how much God loves you and God loves me. Think about it. We chose sin. We chose a broken and fallen world. We chose to put ourselves in place of God and make decisions for ourselves. We blow up our lives, mess up our relationships, destroy our finances, ruin our friendships. We, we are masters at breaking everything we touch. And in the midst of all of that, God knows that we're like that. Oh, we have some good days, but that's by the grace of God. Given, given to ourselves, we, we, we can wreck this thing. Turn on the news. And in the midst of all that, God knew that would happen. And so he has this unique supernatural way of comforting us through people that are Christ followers and that are seeking him. And he brings that comfort through them. God loves you so much, he lets somebody else walk through something deep and dark just so they could be there for you. And God loves somebody else so much, he is allowing this in your life. Because you're the one person that's going to be able to show them the love of Christ in the midst of pain on a level that they can comprehend it, absorb it, and be encouraged by it. God comforts us to comfort others. God comforts us through others to comfort others. Verse 5, 
Now, this, this is going to seem a little bit wordy because of the translation from Greek to English, but I'll explain it. I want to break this down. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. What, what does that mean? Most of the time, we glance at this and we say, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, and when we think about the sufferings of Christ, we think about the beatings that Christ took. We think about the mockings that he took. We think about the, the whippings that he took across his back. We think about the cross, the sufferings of Christ. We think about the physical sufferings of Christ. But if you study in the language a little bit deeper, right here where it says the sufferings of Christ, it's literally talking about, yes, that, but more than that, the day-to-day -day sufferings of loneliness. The day-to-day -day sufferings of being too cold or too hot. The day-to-day -day sufferings, although he was fully God, he was also fully man. I, I don't understand that, but I'm very, very glad that my God is not so small that I can understand everything about him. So I just take it by faith. But, but it's talking about the common sufferings that Christ would have living on planet Earth just like you and me. Spending a night alone, having been betrayed by those the closest to him those kinds of sufferings, the kinds of sufferings that you experience and the kinds of sufferings that I experience. For just as much as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, because we're in a broken world, sufferings are abundant. Jesus even said, in this world, you will have trouble. So there's a commonality. What does that mean? Jesus came to earth so that he could live his life and die for your sin and for my sin so that we could be connected with God the Father in a personal, intimate, daily relationship. But in doing so, he set himself up to experience the same kind of sufferings that you and I experience day to day. So also our comfort abounds through Christ. Somehow he was comforted by the Father and somehow just knowing that Jesus understands is comfort. He, he lived through it. He lived it. He understands. And I think it's important if you're in a season of pain to recognize our capacity to comfort is determined by the degree to which we've suffered. Our capacity to comfort is determined by the degree to which we've suffered. I'm far more compassionate today than I was 30 or 40 years ago. Far more. Now, I, I've still got a long way to go. I have not arrived. I, I, I've not gotten there yet. I've not perfected this yet. So I, I, I'm not where I'm going to be, but I thank God I'm not where I was. Because through pain, one of the things that God will teach you is that people matter. Through pain, one of the things that you begin to understand is that God loves everybody. Last Sunday, I was walking under the breezeway after the service, and I looked in the eyes of a guy and I saw pain that I would have missed 20 years ago. See, the purpose is bigger than just you and me. And the deeper your suffering, the deeper your pain, the larger the platform God will give you of influence in the lives of people if you'll continue to trust him. The more people you will be able to help. So then Paul says, if we are distressed, who's we? Him and his team, the people with him, the people serving with him. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. We're going through suffering for you. God is going to use our suffering and how he comforts us to benefit your life because we're going to be able to comfort you. If we're distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. 
what you're talking about. When you wake up in the morning and you think, God, why me? God, where are you? Legitimate questions. But you get to decide, and I get to decide at the beginning of each morning whether our brain takes us on the journey through the day or we tell our brain where to go on the journey through the day. Because while those questions are legitimate, there are some absolute truths that you can focus on instead. Because you and I will never understand all the purpose behind everything, but what we do know, a truth is, this is happening so that I can help someone else. The truth is, God, you promised you'll never leave me and never forsake me. So today might be hard, but thank you for being with me. The truth is, Jesus, you did everything necessary on the cross for me to have a connected relationship with the Father. Thank you, Lord, that I know you in a personal way. I I can't imagine what this day, month, season would look like if I didn't have a relationship with you, God. Thank you for being my God. But notice, notice, you're not going to like this. Notice. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance. Patient endurance. I go to the gym most mornings. Missed a few days this week because I hurt my knee because I'm 40 and none your business. And so when I try to do what I used to do, things begin to happen. And my body says, whoa, 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 you look good enough. But, but I just still feel like I need to go to the gym. And so I've been reading, I've been starting to read because I'll just say next summer I'll turn 50 years old. I know you're shocked, just hold that to yourself, but I'll, I'll turn 50 years old. So I've been starting to read about, yeah, thank you, all the old people are clapping, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm with you. We, we have suffered similarly and deeply together, I get it. But I've started reading about how to build muscle after 50 because it's different than when you're 20. I'm I'm trying to understand, like, what do I do? And one of the things I'm reading about is the endurance of muscles and what happens when you put them under a constant strain for a certain period of time, and it really doesn't take weight that's that's that heavy. Patient endurance. It may feel like hell but you're enduring something that is building your faith and making it stronger. You may want out. You know what they said in one of the articles I read? Dan, where's Dan? Is Dan, Dan, where are you? Right here. Dan, come up. Dan, now, come here. Can you turn the lights up? Let's get up here where people can see. Come right over here. This is the guy I work out with every morning. This is the guy. Now, you, you know those people in life that sometimes say, well, what do you need to do, Pastor? What do you need? I've had people tell me, what do you need to do? You need to eat like this. You need to do these workouts. You need and I look at them, and I think, hell no. I don't want to look like you. Have you ever had people that look like nothing try to tell you how to be something? Have you ever seen that? So this, this is who I work out with. Like, he, he's selling what, what he's, he's, he's buying what he's selling. Like, he does this stuff. And one of the things we talk about, I'm not going to tell him how old you are, but one of the things we talk about, yeah, you're welcome. One of the things we talk about, one of the things I learned from him when we first started working out is lighter weight and slow movement and keeping stress and tension on the muscles, right? See, young bucks go in there heavyweight and you're popping stuff. And I I look at the form of some of these young guys and I think, you're going to hurt something one day. You're going to hurt something one day. Just like the form sometimes in our faith when we think it's popping instant, you're going to hurt something one day. There's going to be a moment where that pop and swing doesn't work in your life, and you're going to need to go slow and steady and let the muscle build. Thank you. Love you. See you in the morning. 
patient endurance. Don't quit. Don't give up. What does it mean? When you continue to lean into your faith, you, you don't feel much. It doesn't look like much. You look in the mirror and it all seems the same. But when you continue to do that day by day by day, what's going to happen is you're going to look up in six months and that's when you'll notice the change. You're going to look up in a year and you're going to look at who you used to be and who you are and you're going to recognize I'm not there yet, but man, my faith has grown. Man, God's doing something in my life. He's building that muscle of faith in our lives. Let me, let me hurry, because I'm almost out of time. Y'all got to listen faster. You're listening too slow. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Now, in that context, in that context, let me just read through a couple of the verses we've covered without stopping. In the context of what we talked about, listen. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So let's comfort those who need comforting with the comfort you have received. And then to the church at Philippi, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, patient endurance, patient endurance, patient endurance, that he who began a good work in you, he began it, but he's not done yet. It's not over. He's not done yet. If you're alive and breathing, he's not done yet. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you if you're a follower of Christ. If you're still breathing, he's not done yet. You're seeing the moment. He's seeing the momentum of patient endurance. He began a good work and you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's not done yet. It's not over for you. You will be happy again. There is a purpose to the pain. It's going to ultimately be okay. Thursday. Past Thursday was the anniversary of Carrie DeMar going to heaven. Bill's daughter, who was killed by the drunk driver, third time offender. Bill and Lacey, Casey and Billy are part of C3. They started a foundation, the Carrie Ann DeMott Foundation where they travel and Bill speaks to law enforcement all over the states and other states. He speaks to college campuses and high school campuses. Why does he do that? Comfort. Comfort. Because everywhere he goes, he meets people who've suffered deeply and similarly. And God uses him to comfort them. Everywhere he goes, he meets people in pain. And his words have a heavy weight about them. His words sink deeper in people's souls than pastor's words do. Because of what he's walked through. Why does the Carrie Ann DeMott Foundation exist? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The God of all comfort has comforted him. And he's bringing comfort to those who've experienced the same thing. And because of his message, he's bringing comfort to parents whose kids, because they hear him, will never make the mistake that the guy who hit Carrie Ann made. 
He's bringing them comfort, and they don't even know it. He would have never picked them. Lacey, Casey, and Billy, they, they would have never signed up for this. But he will never know this side of heaven how many lives have been impacted and how much comfort he's brought to people because he didn't sit down, give up, quit, stop, get angry with God, frustrated with God. You can be angry with God and still trust him. I get angry with my kids sometimes. Parents, I know you can't relate. You can't relate. You don't understand. I get angry. I don't stop loving them. In fact, it's because I love them that I get angry sometimes. God understands that we don't understand. God doesn't expect you and I to figure it all out. He just says, hey, I'm going to give you this little glimpse. One day in heaven, maybe it'll all make sense. But I'm going to give you a little bit right here. When you walk through that kind of pain, when you're going through hell on earth, and you feel like nobody understands, I'm going to send a really big guy that spent 28 years as a pro wrestler into your life to bring a little bit of comfort. And he won't even need to say anything. When you see his face and you hear his story, you'll know he understands. And sometimes just the presence of somebody who understands is all the comfort you and I need to get to the next day. So this week, this week, if you're struggling, if you're in pain, if you're suffering, I don't believe God creates that, but I believe he allows it. Why? Because there's somebody that lives on your street. There's somebody that works in your office. There's somebody that sits at a desk in your classroom. There's somebody that you know, and you may not even know what they're going through. But God is going to use you to comfort them. So love people. If somebody's having a bad day and they're acting like an idiot, you, you do understand, people that are consummate idiots have been through a lot of pain. You've heard the phrase, hurting people hurt people. So why don't we have a little compassion and getting instead of getting angry back, understand Man, that person must have been through all kind of hell. I, I want to just be nice to him. Why don't we believe the people of God where Scripture says they'll be known by, you, you'll be known by your love for each other. Somebody cuts you off on I-4, they're idiots. They shouldn't be on I-4 anyway. But, but, what if we just said, man, they must be having a rough day. I want to pray for them. Even if they call you number one, I want to pray for them. How would your world change? How would your family change? How would your parenting change? How would your marriage change? How would the atmosphere of your job change? Even if nobody else did, if you just brought some compassion and comfort to those areas. Imagine what would happen if we all did that. Imagine what would happen in our communities, in our schools. Imagine <laughs> a few months when it's an election. Imagine what would happen in our politics. If we loved each other more than agendas. If we learned to love people we even disagree with. I think if Jesus used 12 people to change the world, imagine what a thousand could do. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you so much for the reality of your love. And God, in this moment, I continue to pray for those that are in the waiting room of life and they're suffering and they're struggling and they're walking through a painful season. God, I pray that this morning you would remind us that while we don't know all the purposes, we know one. And that is to comfort others who are walking through pain. Father, I pray we take our eyes off of ourselves because that only brings misery. And I pray that we put our eyes on you. We look to you. And, and by that, I mean, I pray we spend a little bit of time each day reading your word and praying to you and seeking to you, seeking you because we desperately need you. And then, God, I pray we'd be intentional in our relationships and you would help us to help others. You would be comfort sent through us. 
God, I pray that we would be the answer to somebody's prayer who's praying for somebody that's hurting, that they love, and we would be the ones to bring comfort. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here this morning, and you're not a Christ follower. And you know that today you need to surrender your life to Christ. You would love to have your sin forgiven, but you really want the presence of God in your life. You want the Spirit of God living inside you who can do beyond anything you and I can do. If that's where you are, I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of the moment, just in your heart. If you'd like to commit your life to Christ today, just pray, Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please, please come into my life. Forgive me of my sin and help me to live for you. As best I know how, I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.